Hello, everyone, and welcome to Anarchists and Androids. I'm Parenthesis I, and I'm joined with... Logar, the Barbarian. And today we're going to talk about the new movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, or also known as Ant-Man 3. <laughs> it's, Quantumania! Uh, the third, yeah, the third Ant-Man movie and the 31st film in the MCU and the first film in Phase 5 of the MCU. Has it been 31 films already? Ooh. Yeah. It, yeah it, it blows my mind because it seems like not that long ago I was just begging for any Marvel movie to exist. And now I've got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 31. And this is just MCU and not exactly counting like the all the Sony stuff and all yeah. the X-Men stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then all the series. Yeah. We got a lot of super like. Growing up in the 80s, uh, being born in the 70s, my option, like, like originally my options for superhero movies and TV was like, yeah, Wonder Woman, Hulk, Batman from the 60s, and you got the Superman movies, and that was about it. It's a big deal when Batman came out. I never thought in a million years I'd see a stinking Ant-Man movie, but here we are <laughs> in part three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was three Ant-Man movies. <laughs> Not just Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. Now... I'm a big fan of the old... Uh, I'm a fan of Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne as the Ant-Man and the Wasp, the originals in the comics. Like, well, Scott Lang takes over in the comics. Now, the movies have focused largely on Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, whereas the originals are represented by Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer, which I think is brilliant and works well that they kind of kept them as an, as uh, older than Scott Lang and kind of like there's that history there that they were Ant-Man and Wasp prior to them two taking over. I like that, that approach to Ant-Man in the Marvel Universe. It's neat to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it creates, like, this film definitely like has like a family vibe where mm -hmm. like, you know, with the Hank Pym and the was it Janet Van Dyme and then like the Hope Van Dyme and then the main character, Scott Lang, and then his daughter, Cassie. So it's like a whole family adventure. And in that regard, it reminds me of the old uh, Lost in Space, you know, when they oh, were yeah. lost in space, you know, as the name says. But in this case, it's lost in the quantum realm. I liked Lost in Space a lot when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's uh there's some interesting things that are said and done in here i'm going to start kind of at the beginning of the film where we get scott lang's daughter cassie is in jail because she's an activist <laughs> oh really this is interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah she was an activist in san francisco and she was arrested by the police at a protest or something yeah and they harken back to some of the stuff that he did because scott lang was a criminal and and in the films it's he's a criminal because he he broke laws because of injustice essentially correct yeah well i guess you could say that about the daughter too <laughs> yeah so they're they're breaking the laws they're criminals but they're doing so with a just cause is kind of and I, and I kind of wish they would expand on that a little more, but it's interesting. Some of the dis, in the film, they actually have a couple of discussions around around that, and uh, I think that there's something interesting they're touching on. I I feel that it could be expanded on exponentially. That they did not expand it on exponentially, but it's a neat concept to keep in there. And yeah. there's certain things that occur throughout the film that make me kind of. Uh, feel that it fits well with that <laughs> yeah well in that regard it kind of reminds me of like the old debate they had in the mcu films about the sarkovia Accor accords and super v superheroes being registered by the government and agents yes. of the government as opposed to going rogue and doing <laughs> their own thing 
Well, I think there's there's all these uh, community type themes in here. So you have the uh, you have the family aspect, right? But then Hank Pym has his aunts, and his aunts work and exist in. I, I'm going to just use the word uh, a socialist and or communist style <laughs> type of type of society is what it seems to be. And he kind of reiterates that, and yeah. we see their their evolution in the film of the ant says talks about was there, was there a lot we can learn from the ants? He says, "Oh yeah, yeah. I know socialism. Wait, uh, the the quote I have is uh, I know socialism is a loaded word, but we could learn a thing or two from them." Talking about the ants, he also describes them as a technocratic type two civilization, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. now where, where are we getting that technocratic type two civilization? Is this like old Marvel trading cards classifications, or is he taking this for something scientific, or are they trying to make it sound scientific? <laughs> oh, I, I forget the name of. There's like a scale that maybe scientists or maybe science fiction people <laughs> they, they kind of blur together about like a theoretically like the different types of civilization, and one type has all the energy of the planet and other. And the other type above that is all the energy from the sun of a solar system. And then above that, all the energy from a galaxy. Oh, really? And so, so maybe they get all the energy from a planet or maybe all from a solar system. Who knows? Because they're in a whole different realm, the quantum yes, realm here. The quantum realm. Now, I, I have some perplexing questions about the quantum one that quantum mechanics might answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we're shrinking, I don't believe the quantum realm is like a, a micro realm looking at this. And while it is, it's not. When you look at quantum theory, there's there's uh, multiple different options besides yes, no, you get that third option. Everything that can happen can happen, a lot, a lot of law. You've got a lot of that stuff that occurs. So if they were shrinking down to just like a smaller scale world, moving across the room would put you light years away from the other world or the other place she, that Janet Van Dyne was at. So we're shrinking down. We're going into some kind of quantum realm, which seems to be a realm outside on its own. Is that a is that a inaccurate like assumption you think I'm doing there? You think I'm overthinking what the quantum realm is? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. It seems to operate under different rules, different from time and space as we know it. Mm -hmm. And and the aliens and creatures that they have, like who knows how they exist and <laughs> their biology and. Uh, what makes him tick because he sees some weird aliens in this movie and that's one thing i like about it yeah me too it a lot of it harkens to like some old marvel comics i would read at times now i'm more interested i'm more interested i'm more used to comics with the microverse like micronauts and stuff like that that were things that were in like the fantastic four always went to like various alternate world or universes in that manner there was one they went to was it the was it the nth world or something weird like that am i am i confusing my comics you know what i'm talking think, about yeah i vaguely remember that or was nth world was that kirby i can't remember anyways <laughs> i like the movie it's fun um i don't know if it's so marvel movies are if they do get political and social it's very surface level at times so we see a few comments like what hank pym says and there is like a revolutionary element to the film. You have Kang the Conqueror again. Yeah. The ruler as the bad guy has to kind of be really bad. <laughs> so the oh, conqueror. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's super bad. <laughs> and this turns out to be like this one king out of like an infinite number of kings. <laughs> and they, they all like can tr travel beyond uh, or across the boundaries of space and time. So it, he seems like a godlike person, definitely. 
uh, and I guess when they introduce at the very end of the movie, like all these other kings, you know, he says one god among many gods. And then when you look at the MCU in general, there's just so many goddamn gods. <laughs> <laughs> so many goddamn gods. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like Jonathan Majors in the role of Kang. Uh, Kang had in the comics, Kang has a uh, how do you like a a thermal looking face reminds me of like someone's long johns. He has like lines going down it on his mask or whatever in the comics. And in the movie, what they did was he's got like two single scars going down his face that kind of get illuminated when his little face visor comes on that gives it that look. I think that was an interesting way to approach the look of Kang in a live action film. And it works well. Yeah. yeah. And they're setting up King obviously to be like the big villain for like this uh, phase five of the MCU and maybe other phases beyond that. And in that sense, you could say like the Marvel story has transitioned from like Thanos being the big bad guy, purple guy, and now it's King, blue guy. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, and, and I like that there are some differences in the way they've brought Kang in versus Thanos. When Thanos was being introduced, he was very much mostly end credit scenes, and um, there wasn't there wasn't really any big Thanos combat movies where they had him as the main bad guy until we actually got into full force of fighting Thanos. Thanos was a thing that was coming. Hang yeah. is more like the comics in that they're actually we're actually getting films and stuff where the heroes get to fight and beat the bad guy before the big bad guy finally comes with his great big final. Oh, I'm going to get you plan uh -huh. that's universe ending. I like this is a different approach than they took with Thanos. And it's a little more like the comic books. Oh, yeah. And they also have like it, there's a lot of similarity to the especially the ending of the Loki series on mm -hmm. Disney Plus because at the very end of that they go to one of the kings called He Who Remains and uh, Sylvie kills him at the end. But at the very end he says like if you kill me you're unleash some crazy worse things than you can imagine. And then they kind of did the same thing in this one where like uh, another like female superhero person kills Kang. <laughs> and then he also says, like, you know, you're going to be unleashing far worse than you can imagine by doing this. I'm excited to see how horrible Kang can get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and then at the very end, yeah, they show, like, the there's, like, a council of Kings or, like, a whole... Like, well, it's like a stadium. Of King. Yeah, like a stadium of Kings. civilization of Kings. It's Kang civilization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that reminds me of, was it, like, Rick and Morty? With like the Council of Ricks and oh, all that. I, <laughs> I can't talk about that one because I've not. I've only seen a couple episodes. I'm not. I don't, I'm not a Rick and Morty person. I don't know much about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I've also seen only a few episodes, but I can make it sound as if I know a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see a Civilizations of Ricks. <laughs> yeah, but like they travel across the multiverse in Rick and Morty, and uh, they do have like Rick, one of the main characters, like have a council of all these different timeline versions of himself <laughs> I, I i think we should probably bring up modok oh yeah yeah like and so i don't remember much about modok like do you know about, about i know the guy? a bit about modok and, and now i wish kate was on this one with us because kate is a huge modok fan we actually have a modok magnet on the fridge even and oh, um yeah. I, they've definitely changed the origin but i feel that modok was done per good in in the perfect way i don't know perfect but a very and that's a hard thing to do for film. And I think yeah. they did handle it well in a film. 
it's interesting the approach they took. They kept they kind of leaned into some of the humor with the character, with some of the relations, and tied it back to the first film by making Modoc someone who he wasn't originally. Was Modoc stands for is it me- mechanical organism? Um, that I, I'm trying to remember, oh, organism. A design designed for killing. For killing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then they have the the joke. It's like uh, it's me, Modoc. <laughs> <laughs> so we got that extra four in there that, that gets left out of the display. But I like. I'm not gonna lie. I like Modoc when they have the little metal face over him, as opposed to when they're showing the actual face a little more, because it's just it's straight up. Mo- it's like that's how Modoc should look in a movie from the the comic books. I'm impressed. I'm excited to see that bonkers of of comic book stuff on film. And looking at the quantum verse and where they were at, it's kind of the appropriate way to start introducing that kind of stuff. It's as if they're they're layering in and leaning into some of the things that are not big, that have not been done in film yet in the Marvel universe that are comic things. Like they're leaning into the cosmic thing we have with with Thanos. Now they've leaned into the quantum thing here with Ant Man, and they've been leaning into the magic stuff. So kind of diversifying where all the all the weird superhero powers and storylines come from getting just as complex as the comic books can get almost with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that made me wonder too. Also, like if you have somebody that has never seen any of the MCU movies or never read any of the comic books, if they went into this movie, like completely blind, like where they be able to know what's going on. Well, I read a lot of fantastic four as a kid. And one thing I can tell you growing up, I can tell you this back in the 80s because I read a lot of Fantastic Four as a kid and in the 90s and many other decades. I, I, If you were not reading the book and following it, you could have a hard time keeping up with what's going on. I think that Marvel's attempting to keep individual shows and movies as self-contained as possible so that they have a storyline in there while still doing this build-up, this larger, more convoluted story that's more intricate. And that's what comics do well, I feel, and what's interesting to see actually happening on film because comics interweave this soap opera of bizarre things. Um, and it's interesting seeing it happen throughout a uh, multiple films and TV shows in this MCU project, we'll call it for now. <laughs> More of an anarchist perspective here, right? Like, uh, there's one quote when they described King. They said that he took his prison and made it his empire. And uh, that quote kind of reminded me of, like, the kind of anarchist analysis about power dynamics and domination itself, how like you can have people that are kind of like exiled from society, put into prisons, but then within prisons, like hierarchies and relationships of domination and subordination are created among the prisoners there. And so, yeah, that's in effect people in real life, you know, they turn prisons and make them into their little empires. Yeah. And I'm just going to interject something totally out of left field. And then you have someone like, uh, like, like IWOC, the incarcerated workers organizing committee, who's actively organizing within the prisons with folks who are detained and, and the, the folks in there trying to make things better. And definitely a part of the prison abolition movement. A lot of the folks there are. So that's just a side note. <laughs> and then also like uh, this movie, it reminded me of a, classic anarchist quote from Mikhail Bakunin, the founder of the anarchist movement, uh, which is, if God really existed, it would be necessary to abolish him. (laughs) That's kind of like a spin on the famous Voltaire quote. Uh, 
uh, if there was no God, it would be necessary to invent him. But with this, like with King basically being like a God and stuff and totally like has enormous power in this movie. Like it, yeah, it reminded me like, like the rebellion, you know, how it's necessary to like overthrow him. But then also in this movie, like, you know, King says, like, I've seen countless rebellions and I've crushed them all. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, that. there's a moment there where he's talking with Scott Lang about the Avengers and Scott Lang says, I'm an Avenger. He's, oh, I've ran into a lot of Avengers over the years. Which one are you? I know I've, you, you definitely get the impression that he's killed a few Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think, uh, are you the one that has the hammer? And then he's like, oh, you know, we get confused a lot. We have the same body type. <laughs> 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 Thor's godlike body and, <laughs> and yeah. I like the Ant-Man series and here's a side note the first film I really appreciated not because it was like the greatest film on earth because it needs an Oscar I don't think every comic book needs to be the greatest film that needs an Oscar uh, not every comic book film does because they're, they're comic book films they're just based on <laughs> comics like they're comics they're kids funny papers come on you know <laughs> it is what it is and I feel that they did good with the Ant-Man series so far, just being comic films, nothing over the top, so revolutionary that it blows my mind. It needs an Oscar, but it's fun and exciting, kind of a popcorn ride, colorful. The thing I think I liked the most about the very first Ant-Man film was I got to watch it with my daughter, who was a few years younger than she is now. Um, and and one of the first things she pointed out, like, look, Dad, it's like you and me and, and the relationship between the daughter and the father not being able to see each other all the time. Because at the time she had she, she'd go back and forth between me and her mother quite a bit, especially then she was with her mother a lot. And uh, yeah, there was kind of a connection there for us. And I, I appreciate the Ant-Man movies kind of because watching it with my daughter a little bit more. And it's neat to see them kind of further the father daughter story there and their wider family as well. I guess the Van Dynes and the Pims might be even considered partially like a step family to them as at the same time. So those things I liked about it. <laughs> and now the daughter is like a scientific genius that's able to devise a way to communicate with the quantum realm. Kind of like my daughter. She's very, yeah, oh, she's doing making all A. She's making all A. She just got accepted to the uh, health studies program in in her high school. So she's going to be getting like advanced classes for scientific health and, and doctor type stuff. So I'm proud of her. I'm proud of her. She's a brilliant young woman. <laughs> yeah. I think the last MCU film before this, uh, the Wakanda Forever. I think they also had like somebody about the same age as uh, Scott's daughter in this movie who uh, had the. Well, I forgot, was it Ironheart? Was it yes, Ironheart. Ironheart. Yeah. Mary Williams. Ironheart. And yeah. Mary Williams is, I believe, going to get her own Disney Plus series soon. I like Ironheart. I've read a few comics of Ironheart. They are mostly newer ones. Uh, but I'm excited to see what the MCU does with her. But again, genius, smarter than everybody. She goes to some school like Stanford or Harvard or something like that, I believe. And I can't remember yeah. what it was. Uh, and Black Adam, too. I think that also had like this one genius character that was also about the same age, 18, 19 year old genius women. Well, it's kind of a trend. Yeah, I like that. But here's the other thing to think about, too. This is the old trope. Go back to the 30s and stuff like that. You always have a brilliant scientist. You got Dr. Midnight in the JSA. You've got um, our man making his hour of power pill, which he pretty much just invented. What? Um, uh, speed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, you can buy those at truck stops. I'm guessing. <laughs> I got my hour of power. 
so I but that that trope is like a classic superhero trope. I'm such a genius that I can make myself this superhero. It's neat to see that be more than just uh, the evil mod scientist feller and seeing those character types kind of like taking different approaches to them with folks like Riri Williams, uh, Scott Lang's daughter and stuff like that. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of creating a new trope. <laughs> this movie, I, I heard someone before he went into it watching someone compared it to Star Wars in one of the reviews. And I kind of see what they're saying. It definitely had so the Marvel is almost creating its own aesthetic at this point and different things have built onto it and added to it. I think James Gunn was heavy in kind of shifting a direction where that aesthetic went with his early Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And I feel that it kind of builds on and advances what they're doing in that respect, just visually in the films. You think I'm off there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely further like elaborating, solidifying the MCU aesthetic. Yeah, and the aesthetic, you can see influences from lots of various fantasy, science fiction, comic book authors in it. Because, well, yeah, they're pulling this from comics and stuff like that. <laughs> but some of the things we're seeing, some of the little outfits and colors and stuff like that, one of the things that makes comics work as a visual aesthetic is the vibrant colors. And that was something that had been lost in comic book movies for a long time. You had Batman, Doom and Gloom. Yeah. The color is not so vibrant, very black and white. And that works for some things. Yeah. And that was maybe some part of the problem with the, the Zack Snyder DCEU is that it was yeah. so dark and grim the whole time. Yeah. And Marvel just kind of like visual aesthetics. Like, well, it's a comic book. You know, we got full color printing. We've been thrilled to use it since the early 1900s to make these great colorful characters. Let's bring those great colorful characters and do artistically on screen what worked there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so another note I have is about how um, in politics or geopolitics, you know, they have this concept of the balance of power of like great powers among nations and such, you know, and, and throughout history, there's been these balance of power, whether it be, you know, bipolar between the US and Russia or just one main power or whatever it may be. And so I would say that it seems like in the MCU, there was a delicate balance of power that had been achieved among all the kings of the yeah. multiverse. And by Sylvie killing He Who Remains and then the Wasp killing, I guess, He Who Is Exiled, and they call this one, <laughs> uh, by the killing these two kings, like the balance has been disrupted and all hell is going to be breaking loose in future MCU films. So I'm curious what they're going to do with Kang Dynasty when we get that movie. I'm wondering how they're like, what? Yeah, I, I'm just curious to see what happens at this point. I'm very interested. And I, I, I may have said this before a hundred times, but Jonathan Majors, I really appreciate him uh, in everything I see him in. I'm looking forward to here in a couple of weeks. My my son and I are definitely going to have to go see Creed 3. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I grew up going to see all the Rocky movies as a kid, and I've been a big fan of the 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 continuation of them in those Creed movies. But now we have Killmonger and uh, Kang going yeah. at it in the ring. <laughs> I'm really excited for this movie. It's going to yeah. be interesting. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, they also had a trailer before this film for the, the Flash movie coming out that's going to have Michael Keaton reprising the role of Batman. That's going to be interesting. I'm going to make a point. I'll point something out in the Flash movie that 
Marvel seems to have beat DC to a lot of things uh, when it comes to the films here in the last decade. But DC seems to be beating the Marvel Universe uh, by being the first one to reboot the universe in this movie. <laughs> yeah, because it looks like they are going to be rebooting the DC Universe in this Flash movie. So, and, and let's point, I'm going to look at this one here because you mentioned something earlier. And I think this is worth talking about. One thing about this movie is you asked if people who haven't been watching these, if they can follow all this, as these build on each other. And one of the reasons that they did reboots in the comics was they had built such a dense lore that was hard to follow that they kind of wanted a clean slate. So is the film universe going to get as messy as the comic universe where we're going to see occasional mm. reboots? We're already seeing one at DC. We're seeing some more intricately woven plots going between TV to film and across various films as well. Very much like a comic, but very much the thing that led to rebooting the MCU every other year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, so I think the MCU has been more carefully crafted and planned out by, you know, Kevin Feige or the Kevin, <laughs> K-E-V-I-N, right, who runs the MCU. And so it seems like they're able to go, you know, 30 plus films and like, no problem, going strong. But the DCEU seems like a mess that they haven't really planned it out at all. And it's it's just like random things. And then you got stuff like the Joker movie and you have the CW TV shows and all this stuff. And they're all kind of off doing their own thing. And and so I think what they have is like James Gunn, like DC has been able to like steal him from Marvel. Yeah. And he's going to be like the new Kevin Feige for the DCEU. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I really like what James Gunn does. I The Guardians of the Galaxy movies, I think, have been some of the best done Marvel movies. Um, I don't know if they are my absolute favorite just because, you know, I got like like rose colored glasses, fandoms for other characters and stuff like that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, they were very well done. And I think they understood comics. And I like what he's been doing at DC. They gave him a start with re kind of re redoing or continuing the Suicide Squad in a different way. He did Peacemaker. I think he grasps comics in a way, a lot of folks don't. And I think he can do a great job with these. So I am, I do think that there's some good stuff going to come out of the DC universe with this. I'm excited to see what happens, but I'm not like overly like public. Oh yeah, I can't wait. I'm a little apprehensive at the same time. Part of me is like, well, they're already doing a reboot. How long is the James Gunn ring going to last? Some people will complain about it more than likely. I don't care what you put out. Someone's going to hate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm super excited about The Flash simply because of Michael Keaton reprising his role as Batman. I think the world is at that point right now in, in fandom. I think there's, there's a vast amount of people just ready to see that Michael Keaton as Batman again. And that's 100% going to draw in a huge audience for this film that it would not have had otherwise. <laughs> I think that worked to his favor in that one movie. I forgot what year it was, but it won like the Academy Award for Best Picture, Birdman, where, yes. where Michael Keaton played Birdman. And then he was also in the Spider-Man movies, too. So he's all over the superhero stuff. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was. It seemed like for a minute there, we weren't seeing Michael Keaton in a lot of films. But post Birdman, he really jumped back into it. He's reprising Batman finally. We got the Vulture as Michael Keaton, which is brilliant. I I'm happy with seeing him in the MCU there. I don't need more Vulture, but if we got more, I wouldn't complain. <laughs> yeah. 
I think they hinted at that at the end of the Morbius movie. Was that it? That he appeared at the end of that? The, it yeah, it was. Was it Morbius or was it Venom? Oh, yeah, you're right. I think it was Venom. I think it was the Venom movie, but I might be wrong on that. I might have to go back and watch because I don't know if I finished the Morbius movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Actually, I didn't see that one at all because I just heard <laughs> negative things about it from everyone. I started watching it when it went to streaming and I tried to watch it on at least three or four occasions, but I don't know if I actually made it to the end. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I apologize for that. Yeah, uh, it it uh, may maybe try to give it another chance at another point in time when I have enough time to sit down and watch a full two hour movie and try to get into it. Uh but back to Quantum Mania because we've really got. <laughs> I think at this point, a lot of these films, people are looking for the wider story arc of the MCU, and they're looking forward to big event films. And I think one thing that's lost in that is that comics aren't always the big event. There's like the individual issues and you got to build these characters up in order for those things to happen. And I do think that some folks have been disappointed with this current phase because we are getting individual stories. And it isn't like every single hero from every which way pulling together, coming up going, oh, no, it's all of us now to an extent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, keep in mind, this is the first one of the phase five. Yes. So, yeah, it's kind of like a fresh start with a, a new year and all that kind of stuff. And we got so we got at least a couple movies coming up here. We got Guardian, the next Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm I'm curious if that will intertwine with multiverse stuff at all or not. I I don't uh, know. <laughs> well, it definitely would tie in with like space stuff. The space yeah. stuff we get. The galaxy. It's in the title. <laughs> And and let's be honest, like Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one did kind of take the MCU in a totally new direction overall going into space and bringing in all these colorful characters in a vibrant manner that we really hadn't seen. That's definitely left its mark and imprint, like I said, on Quantum Mania as well. I don't know, just a few observations. Do you have any other elements from the film that we might want to bring up before this episode's over and discuss? <laughs> oh, well, the only uh, thing I have left is uh, Baskin Robbins. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you can see that corporation's fingerprints, uh, ice cream <laughs> fingerprints all over the place yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on this movie. They must have paid a lot of money. Yeah, Baskin Robbins seems to be a corporate sponsor of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, I haven't been to. I, I, I we have a Baskin Robbins slash Dunkin' Donuts not too far from here. I've been there a couple times, but overall, I haven't eaten a lot of Baskin Robbins recently. Maybe after watching Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania, I should go up there uh, and ice cream. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it has its influence on you here. <laughs> and show that the marketing influence marketing influences us. I think it's important to acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah. otherwise i wouldn't be watching these movies <laughs> yeah and and sometimes uh they have it like when they're like all over the movie like that that if you go into one of those franchises like you see the stuff for that movie all over that store and i wonder if they got quantum mania toys i would like a little kang a little kang spoon to eat my ice cream with oh, i yeah. can do that i can do that <laughs> <laughs> I said marketing influences us. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off in left field again and talk about something totally unrelated. Is someone brought to game a a, a box of uh, Starry? Have you had Starry? No. It's a, a soda pop, a can of pop. Uh, it's Sierra Mist rebranded essentially, apparently with with corn syrup instead of natural sugar. 
and I've been drinking it lately, largely because of the rebranding, because it's been so long since I've drank a Sierra Mist, and I kind of said, well, that's pretty good. Just looking there, that marketing influenced me to start picking up stories when I walk into the Speedway up the street, and it's time to go get drinks at work. So I think it's important to acknowledge that, especially watching something like this, where you got the Baskin-Robbins in there. You've got all this marketing telling us to go see it. Like, look, this is reminiscent of your childhood. This is what Kang looks like. You remember that comic book there, Logar? (laughs) (laughs) Am 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 I off my rocker saying all that? Oh, no, no. It's interesting because I do remember, I have a memory of way back when, when like the Star Wars episode one, The Phantom Menace. And I remember at that time that Taco Bell had like a huge campaign for marketing for that movie. And it worked for me. I remember like going to see that Star Wars movie and then going to eat at Taco Bell for dinner and then going to see it a second time. (laughs) I don't need any prompting to eat at Taco Bell. I eat at Taco Bell a lot. (laughs) (laughs) you don't need any kind of star wars connection for that don't need it but when that episode one came out i'll tell you what i did do is i went and got me a second job in the evenings at wendy's um flipping burgers for extra money for star wars merchandise toys and comics and books and everything else (laughs) i just needed a second job to buy all the star wars stuff Wow. Oh, that's dedication. Yeah. <laughs> I was always spending a lot of money on comics at the time. And at that point in time, I was single and didn't have to worry about kids or spouses. And I wasn't a daddy just yet. <laughs> well, I think that's about all we have for today. Uh, could you tell the listeners where they could find you online? Oh, yeah. I'm a parenthesis I. So it's a. My blog with some of my writings is parenthesis.i.blogspot.com. And then on Mastodon, a part of the Fediverse, <laughs> is um, at parenthesis i. Excellent. And that's E Y E I. Oh, yep. Parenthesis E Y E. And you can find me on the daily podcast, Wobblies and Wizards, for now. Um, and wobbliesandwizards.com is a good place to find me at Logar Hill Crom on most social media like TikTok and Twitter. And everyone has their own rebellion. <laughs>